My full chrome just closed. Mm. Sorry. This week on First Course First, David needs to find his fucking notes. That's coming up next. Welcome to Verse, Chorus, Verse. My name is DL. This is episode 136. And with me is Rachel Polio. Rachel, if you had to come up with your own The Crow Henchman name, what would your name be? That's Tintin is already taken. (laughs) Fuck. I don't know. (laughs) What would yours be? How about Blackpink? I think Blackpink's pretty good. Mm, It's not dangerous sounding, though. It is when you're in their area. Maybe, that's true. Maybe, like, whatever I killed somebody with, like, that would be my... Your rapier wit? Yeah. It'd be like... I don't think you should have in your henchman name. No. (laughs) I would poison people if I were to kill them because I don't really feel like I have good aim or upper body strength. I'm not sure that works for that sort of movie. No, if I was killing people. You could be like a blow dart person. Aim, again. Not good. There's a poison and polio thing there somewhere. I think that I think that works. Yeah. Rachel, how are you? <laughs> good. Did you do yoga all day yesterday? I did some acro yoga. Explain. And some drumming. Acro yoga is where you have like another person. Did you just say drumming? Yeah, like drumming. Like on a drum with some mallets. Okay, I'm listening. Also my hands. The acro. Were you in a drum circle? Yes. Oh my God. Um, so we've officially lost you. <laughs> God, a little drumming circle, but the acro yoga, you just kind of balance each other. Like, you know, when you do airplane with your kid, that was me yesterday. Why? Because it's fun. Is it? I think so. It's good okay. for your core. Have you taken up marijuana? No. This all makes so much sense now. That's true. Yeah, that's all signs point to marijuana. We're talking soundtracks. <laughs> we have not, it, it, we are three seasons in. We haven't talked about any soundtracks. How, that's kind of crazy to me, considering that we're 90s babies. Mm-hmm. We're 90s kids. That's kind of crazy, right? Also, I feel like I pushed for this Pacific soundtrack did you just last say year. Pacific? I did. Oh, I don't remember that. You don't listen when I talk. I don't know how many of these we're going to do. There are a lot of really great soundtracks mm-hmm. that came out of the mostly the 80s and 90s yeah uh i think the what like the mid 2000s is when they died yeah why did soundtracks die i think a lot of movies and these two very much so were very much pushed by the music because people were so engrossed in what kind of music was happening at the time that you love the music so you go to see the movie a lot of this music on these soundtracks were curated specifically for these movies you never see that anymore you never see a band just box office hit that they're saying to bands Will you write a song for this right. movie? I mean, you did have like Adele writing for double o, one of the 007 movies. Well, James Bond will always have and that kind of intro song. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why they're fun to talk about. Mm-hmm. And they're fun to listen to. In the words of Ben Wyatt, it's like the director is making a playlist for you. <laughs> Rachel, we got to get to the most important part of the day. Because it's, it's Sunday day. It's Sunday I day. hope you're being proper. What are you drinking? I went back to my roots. Oh, you're marging it up. I'm marging it up. And I made two, so I put it in the double-walled cup. I got to say, the ice is a little too skinny, but that looks like a really good fucking margarita. It is. It's just regular-ass cube of ice. I don't have any fancy ice. Man, you are becoming quite the connoisseur. What sort of margarita did you... (laughs) What sort of tequila? 1800 with some trace agaves mix so i will cheers you because we both have tequila Mm. today is that a sunrise Um, 
whatever it is a sunrise nice. uh, it's a it's a very quick version of a sunrise it's me compo tequila with orange juice and a little bit of grenadine and that's easy it. peasy i am under the weather i need the vitamin c but i also need the tequila i so. was just having a conversation about scurvy like 20 minutes ago you have lime and i have orange so we're, we're gonna, gonna be fine fine let me tell you what i learned when i was a sailor <laughs> I know. I mostly ate Pop-Tarts and Snickers. Mm. What kind of Pop-Tarts? I was a big fan at that point of the the s'mores ones. Ooh. Yeah. Yes. S'mores, brown sugar's good. I like all of them. Strawberry gets a little too much because it's too much frosting. I feel like those ones are a little sweeter for some reason, even though that's probably not the case. I would agree. Snack corner. Have you seen the menu yet? Yeah. It's fabulous. Anytime I hear s'mores now, I think of that movie. Is that not like, I think that's the best movie I've seen. Definitely top five in like the last 10 years. In a while. It is so good. That's what we're drinking tonight. We're going to talk movies. I'm looking forward to this. I don't know if any of you know, but people like movies. Mm -hmm. They're very fun to talk about. Mm -hmm. And as much as I love music, I want to talk about movies too. We've got a lot to go over. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. You know what we did for this episode, everybody? We each picked a soundtrack that we wanted to talk about it. We brought it to the table. I think, personally, that Rachel's should go first. So, Rachel, Polio uh, Mason? Yeah. Are are you changing it? Okay, Rachel, Uh, is it Polio Mason or just Mason? It'll professionally just be Polio. I don't want to. No need. Professionally. (laughs) Professionally. But legally, my checks will go out to Rachel Mason. So you will need to switch that. I was really looking forward to calling you Rach Mace from now on. That's fine. There's your poison nickname, Rach the Mace. Rachel, what soundtrack did you bring to the table? I brought 1996's Romeo plus Juliet. William Shakespeare's Romeo plus Juliet. Oh, that Romeo and Juliet. Yes. Best soundtrack of all time. It hit number two on the Billboard Top 200. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Billboard Top 200 charts. Uh, went triple platinum in the U.S. Second highest selling album in Australia in 1997. Yeah. Going five times platinum. It was very big in Australia. Baz Luhrmann was Australian. He is the director of the film. So $147 million box office off of a 14 I can't believe the bu- I did not realize the budget was that small. 14 and a half million for this movie. I mean Well, Baz Luhrmann was relatively new because all he had done was the ballroom. Yeah, one. he did strictly ballroom in 92 and then this Which was, was a massive cult yeah. success. Yeah, like, yeah. People loved that movie. I loved that movie. I thought Strictly Ballroom was great. I think this sophomore movie is pretty fucking impressive i had trouble finding this but i remember back in the day he had four specific art forms that he wanted to base movies around Mm -hmm. and strictly ballroom was dance romeo and juliet was poetry the moulin rouge was music Mm -hmm. did you find anything on that because i swear that was a thing I believe you, but I, I can't say that I found anything. Strictly Ballroom, Moulin Rouge, and this are the Red Curtain trilogy. So maybe yeah, three. There maybe is those that. are the three. That... I have heard that term before. This came out when you and I were, what, junior high? Mm-hmm. And every kid our age... Ate it up. Yeah. Perfect meeting of music and movies that really 
spoke to our generation. Didn't this bounce Titanic? So this was around the same time as Titanic. Oh, that's a great question. I did not. Something about Titanic. It came out, I think, it was around that time. I feel like Titanic was 97. So I don't know what, I'm talking out of school then. I apologize, everybody. That's okay. But this did hit, this was November of 96. So I wonder when Titanic came out. Young little Leo DiCaprio, Mm -hmm. young little Claire Danes. A very handsome John Le Quizamo. Yeah. Harold Perrineau, Pete Postal. Like, this cast is so 90s. It's, it's so mid-90s. Yeah, and it had that one kid from uh, Jamie Bring Kennedy. It On. It had to have Jamie Kennedy. The kid from Bring It On, what was his name? Oh, is that Kirsten Dunst? Kirsten. That's the cheerleader movie. I know exactly. He's the little kid that's, he's like Romeo's little Jesse Bradford. Boy. So Jesse Bradford played one of Romeo's cousins. But yeah, he's like, yes. he has teeny tiny part in it i know that you are a bit of a theater geek mm-hmm. i was a bit of a theater geek what are you how scale of one to ten what is your shakespeare love it's very high i'm a huge i'm a big fan where does romeo and juliet stand on your mm. i'm not asking you to rank them but uh i mean <sighs> tale as old as time i guess it was a, a very good i mean it was written so long ago that it's original now it doesn't seem as original because everything's a love story. but Yeah, this story's been told 7 million times. Yeah, but then you have films like Titus Andronicus where it's just like, ah, oh, no, that's, that is a play. There's some dark shit going on in that one and that's good. Um, yes. And so where I think this is great and I, I think interpreted in film, it, it works really well. I don't know that it's, it's in the top 10. King Lear, Hamlet, Macbeth. Well, don't uh, name them off. <laughs> <laughs> a lot. He had a lot. So I think probably just like you, I was just at the right age for Romeo and Juliet. Mm-hmm. It was somewhere around this point in time that I was intrigued by Shakespeare and trying to understand. It was almost like learning a language. Well, yeah. Junior high was when mm-hmm. you're getting into literature and English is getting more of like, okay, you've learned the English language and how to write. So now let's dig into like understanding different people speaking in different ways. Let's talk about iambic pentameter and haikus and, you know, sonnets and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think this hit us at a great time because this is the stuff we were already getting ready to study in high school. And So since you are a, a Shakespeare fan, mm-hmm. I mean, you just said that it's one of the best soundtrack. No, you said the best soundtrack of all time. Correct. Where are you at on this movie? Like, I know, I'm sure you watched it a ton when you were a kid. Yeah. I hope you rewatched it. I sure did. This. Mm-hmm. Only what, because. What, what were your thoughts then? What are your thoughts now? Because you sent me that <laughs> vague ass, like, <laughs> message the other day. It wasn't day. vague. <laughs> it wasn't vague. Just, this movie sucks. This movie sucks. Didn't specify what movie. I just assumed you were breaking <laughs> my heart. And you did. I love the imagery in this movie. I love Baz Luhrmann. I love this kind of film. I like a lot of movies too, though. So top 30 movies of all time, probably. Even after rewatching it. Even after rewatching it. I think, so I did watch it with Trevor, who had actually never seen it before. And not having read Shakespeare Uh as much as we read it and not really experiencing Baz Luhrmann uh, you know he did Elvis recently Baz Luhrmann did and I didn't oh that's care. right I didn't really care for that one to be honest nah, it wasn't good but other people I liked and that's great I, I, well I liked the way that they told the story I liked the whole yeah it would have been really easy to make Elvis kind of the not a villain I think they did a good job of really showing you how much of an innocent dude he was when he was young yeah. getting into it it was definitely one of those films that 
you see when you're a kid and you absolutely love it. And then you try and show it to a friend when you're older and they're like, what the fuck am I watching? So he didn't like it. And him having not really the best working knowledge of Shakespeare in general of like how the, how the language is and Mm -hmm. not really loving Baz Luhrmann's direction. He wasn't a huge fan of it, especially the the opening scene goes so fast at the gas station that I could quote the entire first scene, but if you don't know it and you're trying to understand what people are saying, it's not as entertaining. That's that's fair. You do forget that the geeks like you and I, Mm -hmm. at some point in a class or whatever, we went through these plays line by line and studied exactly what they were saying with every single line. And I can see where watching this again, I could see where if you don't know exactly what they're going, where they're going with it. Mm -hmm. uh, Yeah. Like you said, we know every single line of this. And I, the thing that I love about this version versus, because I'm sure we both saw the 1968 version as well. It's so accessible. That scene at the gas station makes that language so accessible and so easy to understand. I just think it's because you're American and there's so many guns in it. Exactly. You and Trevor are the conservative folk from Idaho Falls. You saw those guns. Don't say that word with me. And man, you saw those guns and man, there is a lot of gun fetishism in this movie. The guns are gorgeous, nickel plated, and there's ivory and holy shit. When you have a sword in a film or in a play or something, you have that moment of it being pulled out of the sheath. So you have a couple seconds of admiring the sword, having them like pull open their jackets (laughs) and having an up close of, you know, the back of the you know, the butt of the gun and yeah. having the length of it shown. It's anyway. <laughs> she said so many of those she things. She did say a lot of those things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I personally, just like Rachel, loved this when I was little. Rewatched it this week. Oh, man. Um, I agree that I think the the art is brilliant. Mm-hmm. I love the cinematography. The quick cuts are fine. If there's, there's, to me, it's an acting problem. Okay. And, and I don't know, I don't know if it's because, I mean, how impossible is it to ask an actor that's in a modern movie mm-hmm. to try to go along with these, these lines that Shakespeare wrote? I don't, that might be fucking impossible. It's not though, because you have, there is a lot, especially in one of the opening scenes, there's Benvolio is talking and it's just this chill. He's on the beach with Romeo and the language really gets in the way of his acting. And a lot of times... Noonstruck, cuz. Yeah. But then bad. you have people like... There are moments where Leo is not good and there's moments where he's amazing. And it's the same thing with Claire Danes where sometimes... The acting is insanely good, but there's sometimes when you're just like, you are a seasoned actor, actress, what is the matter with you? But then you have people like Paul Sorvino, where every single line Mm -hmm. is so good, so well delivered, and he finds that balance of this archaic language in a modern film. I agree with that. I think that, uh, like I talked about, John Linkwazamo as Tybalt. Mm. I think he was fantastic. Fabulous. Who played Mercutio? I, Harold, uh, da, 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 da. Uh, Harold Perrineau. Harold Perrineau? Yeah. Uh, Fabulous. He, but at the same time, Romeo and Juliet is one of those plays that is built for certain characters to steal the show. Yeah. Every single monologue that Mercutio has is night and day better than anything anybody else is saying. A thousand percent. 
And I think that feeds in well to the soundtrack because mm-hmm. that's when I really start to get into this movie is when, like when Mercutio, when uh, Mercutio is doing the young hearts going yeah. into the party, that's fucking mm-hmm. rad. Yeah. Like they, they completely nail it with that. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, whenever Tybalt and the Capulets show up somewhere, you've got that kind of modern spaghetti Western yeah. guitar pluck. Yeah. I do think that a lot of the music was done incredibly well in this. I love that they sprinkle in there's like the, you were talking about at the beginning, how they've got Mozart into the pretty piece of flesh. And mm-hmm. I think there's like Claire de Lune is in there. They have all of these odd, famous classical songs mm-hmm. sprinkled around this local God by Everclear. Right. It's pretty cool. Yeah. But at the same time, <laughs> are there not songs on this soundtrack that are high contenders for most annoying song that was ever written? Um, There is. Love me, love me, say that you love. Okay. I, that, I guarantee you that song's used as torture in certain places. <laughs> in the seventh circle of hell, that's what they play constantly. Yes. That song, where the fuck was it in the movie? I had gotten on Reddit and someone said, I feel like it was in the closing credits when I was a kid. No, there are very few positive vibe parts in this movie. Mm -hmm. They last like 30 seconds long. And that was one of them. I do not remember hearing that. I don't remember where it was. Unless I got distracted, which is very possible. But yeah, that is absolutely the worst song in the entire world. And does not go with the vibe of the rest of the soundtrack or the film. I mean, there are happy-ish songs on here, but that one is just dumb. I love the cardigans, but... Leads into the scene in which the nurse conveys Romeo's message of the wedding. It's where the nurse is fucking with Juliet, and she's like, oh, my back. Oh, you know, I want a sandwich. And then she's finally like, yeah, he's going to marry you, you dumb Oh, okay. Enter. Love me, love me. (laughs) So you love that song. It's your favorite soundtrack of all time. Mm-hmm. favorite soundtrack of all time that is the best song that song is so unbelievably popular yeah it was super popular hey uh listeners wh- who who which one of you likes this song <laughs> i mean i don't get it I, it doesn't look like i mean it was it was poppy and happy um, it's whatever you know what i just remember too is is the uh vampire paul rudd is in this movie as well mm-hmm. the the man that just what is he now 70 Something like and that. Looks like he's 32. Ugh, he's so handsome. So young. He's great in this movie, too. He's such a... He sure did, yeah. Freaking... I don't know what I'm supposed to say there. He's such a... He played the the role really well. Just yeah. very innocent and unassuming. Interesting yep. fact, when I was looking up stuff, I don't know if you remember this or ever learned this or know this, but I always wondered how Mercutio had an invitation and i always assumed that he just stole it how he had a physical invitation to the party no i know what you're saying yeah the reason why he was so pissed after he got stabbed and he was like a pox on both your houses is because he wasn't he was friends with romeo but he was not a capulet he was not a montague he wasn't anyone he was paris's cousin yeah like he was just related to paris he was like a non oh that's how he got the invite yeah. I knew that he was a non, he, like, he was friends with Romeo. Here's, okay, here's one of my biggest problems with this movie. Okay. the pl- And I think it's just because they had to cram it into what they crammed it into. Right. But these things, like, you know, Mercutio's stance on, he's friends with Mo- Romeo, but he also thinks that this whole thing is fucking stupid. Right. There are things like that that this movie just doesn't convey. Everything is so fast. 
and it gets so, it at the last minute yeah. after he gets stabbed. He's like, you fucking idiots. But like, there's, there's no sign of that yes. outside of him not being physically involved in any of the altercations prior to that scene. And I understand that this was kind of done by Shakespeare on purpose, but in Romeo and Juliet, there is no, I see her. I'm more in love than I've ever been in my life. Mm-hmm. We fall in love. We hide the wedding. We do all that stuff. We are so in love. And then right. it immediately goes wrong. And somehow, somehow, even then in this movie, I still feel like it happens too fast. Yeah. Like, and I don't know if it's just because it's a movie, but it's so different of a feel from the play because it's like I didn't even I got five seconds of them actually liking each other. Well, and I think it, you know, that part comes down. It, It's ridiculous when you read the play, how quickly things move. Thousand yeah. percent. However, with Baz Luhrmann's direction, every scene is so fast and so choppy for the most part that it feels like it's faster than it is. It doesn't feel like a two hour movie. It feels like it goes by really no, fast. It does. Which, I mean, that's, you know, that's a compliment. Yeah, no, that's good. Especially in our day and age. One of my favorite bands is in this soundtrack twice. The Cardigans is only on it once, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that was good. I'm so funny. Um, which Radiohead song did you hate more? Talk show host or what is it? Song for a film? Song for a f- Okay, the version that you listened to was not the version I listened to apparently because there's only one Radiohead song. No, you're wrong because you didn't watch the movie right. Are there two Radiohead songs in the film? Uh, yeah, the credits. There's oh, another one. Then I did not watch the credits. Exit music for a film. But you didn't catch that because it's, it's when the credits is rolling. It's after the, you know, thus ends the tale of yeah, yeah. whatever it is. Juliet and her Romeo. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you hated the talk show one most uh i mean out of that and nothing to compare it to i guess yeah i hated and loved it the most <laughs> it was a schrodinger of uh, radiohead songs i don't know what it is about me i i i love radiohead i some songs on this i think were used so well mm-hmm. and some of them were very confusing i did like that they did the thing with like the pretty piece of flesh where it's kind of yeah. the montague's theme song mm-hmm. for the entire first half yeah. or any anytime they're in a car or something they're just annoyingly screaming it mm-hmm. but there's so much the soundtrack is very unique that you ha- in that you have this these very 90s alternative songs right and then these these very emo songs and then you have these kind of serious soul songs mm-hmm. you know you have like kissing you by Desiree yeah it's a large plethora of style that is in mm-hmm. this soundtrack right so that song also was one of the ones that was like hey write a song for Romeo and Juliet and she was terrified I think with any good soundtrack, because you have, you should have a variety of emotion within the film, you're going to have mm-hmm. a variety of music to apply to that specific scene. And where that song is wildly different from a lot of the stuff on there, I think it's appropriate for the scene of them meeting. And it was mm-hmm. used one other time later in the film as well. When they were boning, I think. Sounds right. That's good boning music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I just, I can't grasp if I like this or not. I just can't. I, the variety. I don't know. I don't know if I like the Radiohead being in it. I don't know if I like Prince being covered in this. I don't. What What, what is your take on the When Doves Cry version that's in this? Uh, Do you love the little choir boy stuff? I think that it's kind of beautiful, especially like the Everybody's Free, which is the same kiddo Mm -hmm. having that scene of them getting married is this space for them to be away from all of the stuff of their that their families are going through and all the fighting that their families are going through 
And so I think that that's everybody's free is this really beautiful. I had a thought in the middle of watching this that I thought maybe could make it better. What if with the exception of maybe one or two songs like the, the, the when doves cry thing, Mm -hmm. maybe the very beginning where there's the intro to the Montagues and the Capulet boys. Mm -hmm. And I know this is ridiculous because this is a soundtrack episode, but what if, everything else was that old school classical music was Mozart and Beethoven and Tchaikovsky. And there's, cause I think the best part of this, the, when it's conveyed so well is the very beginning when they're quick cutting to introduce every single, right. you know, the father Montague and lady Capulet and it's quick cuts to Mozart. The, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I just think that hits so much better than some of these modern songs. So I see what you're saying. Baz Luhrmann was talking about how he wanted to make a film, how a modern day William Shakespeare would make a film. So in William Shakespeare's day, people could go to the theater or they could go get drunk or they could go to a brothel. Mm -hmm. And so that was his competition. So he had to be flashier and more entertaining and louder than those other things. And so I think where maybe we see it as appropriate to have the juxtaposition of uh, a modern film with classical music. He wanted all of it to be flashy and all of it to be louder than everything else because that's how modern day William Shakespeare would have wanted it. Okay, I can understand that. I, I think that he hit it on the head a lot more with Moulin Rouge than he did with this. I have a really weird relationship now with this movie because I do. There are parts of it that I just think are brilliant, and parts of it that now mm-hmm. it's. But you know, it's twenty years ago. Yeah. So take it easy, DL. Jesus Christ. We will go to awards and categories soon. Before we do, Rachel, just give us a little synopsis of of how you felt then, how you feel now about the movie. And the soundtrack. Both then and now. I don't think my opinion of the soundtrack has changed. Maybe I've fallen more in love with it, but I thought it was pretty genius at the time. And it was one of the few CDs that I actually purchased. Okay. So I I actually own this one. As far as the film at the time, I don't think I really had the experience in, in film watching to be able to discern bad acting from good acting and was just like... Mm, Leo. And so now I'm just like, okay, well, that could have been a better acted scene. And like we said, the same thing with a couple other characters of their. <laughs> so this was 96. Natalie Portman was originally cast wow. as Juliet, but she was, she was 14 when they were shooting this. And then they were like, uh, this looks a little yeah. not good no, you can't do that. because it's making him look older yeah. and she's actually only 14 years old. Yeah. How would so that even be legal? Even the 17 to 21 thing gives me the ick a little bit. I thought you said she was 19. But 17, sorry. Yeah, that's... uh, I said 19. I feel like that is uh, illegal now. 17. I hope. Well... I mean, it was probably illegal back then. It depends on the state. He's always liked younger women, I guess. Want to hear the cutest story ever that's totally not... Yeah, clean this up a bit. So... One of the reasons that Claire Danes was hired was because she wasn't like all googly over Leonardo DiCaprio, but eventually she developed like a crush on him and he was like, oh, this fucking kid. He hated it. This was in the biography of the of the woman that played the nurse, the story. And so quite a few years later after the movie shot, she was sitting, the nurse, the lady that played the nurse was sitting at a restaurant 
And Claire Danes came up to her and said, hi, I don't know if you remember me, but we shot a film a couple of years ago. My name is Claire Danes. And like reintroduced herself. I just think that's the sweetest story ever to like think that you, one, made zero impact or two, are not Claire Danes in the early 90s yeah, or late 90s, early 2000s. Let's go to awards and categories. The David Crosby Met Award for Bad Reviews. <gasps> I don't get this. This is two stars. Mm-hmm. Title, My Favorite mm-hmm. Soundtrack. Sounds like a harsh grade for somebody who thinks it's their favorite. While the movie itself is uneven, the soundtrack was flawless. I was a freshman in high school when I bought this simply because I really liked Love Fool by the Cardians. We found her. (laughs) There she is. After one listen to the CD, I realized that there were many songs just as good or better on it. Love Fool did get very annoying due to, oh, she she left it. Excessive radio play. I do enjoy jumping to track seven every once in a while for nostalgia purposes. Song by Radiohead is nothing short of brilliant true and the love theme by desri will break your heart every time if you are considering by the cd yeah. get it now just for the song by garbage you will not be disappointed two stars does she understand how the stars work? i don't think she does the star system i don't think two she is does not good really looking forward to two. giving this <laughs> soundtrack an eight out of ten when we're done because i just don't like it <laughs> rachel the dmx award what makes this soundtrack unique I'm going to say the same thing, spoiler, for The Crow. And I've already said this, spoiler, is that both of these soundtracks were curated so perfectly for the movie and for Mm -hmm. the time period. Yeah. You loved one or the other, and the one or the other drew you to. Like, if you like The Crow movie, you love The Crow soundtrack. If you like the Romeo and Juliet soundtrack, you wanted to watch the movie. Yeah, I liked what he tried to do with this. You know, I know I just said, what if we just made it all classical? But I liked that he tried to do the modern day with the classical mix in, just like the, you know, a a play. Right. I know I sound like I'm bashing on it. I loved it. I watched this movie 200 times when I was a little kid. Like, I fucking loved this movie. Group of boys running around with guns, fighting and stuff. Like, uh, come on, man. Overrated, underrated, properly rated. In its time, it was massive. It was everywhere. Everybody owned this. It was huge. Um, but what what about currently, though? I could not find a review from before the 20-year anniversary of this album mm. coming out. And so everybody was just like, best soundtrack in the entire world. Perfect soundtrack. Everybody loves this. Just as appreciated now, I think, as it was back then. I... <sighs> I just, I'm going to say this like you did for the next one as well. Just soundtracks in general have just fallen off the face of the earth. Right. Instagram posts about it and stuff like that. Because I do think for our generation, right. it was, it's definitely top five biggest soundtracks of all time. But yeah. this one, I would say is very underrated because this was one of the ones where you, you sent to me that this is what you wanted to do. And I was like, oh shit. Yeah. This had garbage and Everclear and it's so right. mid nineties. Scale of one to ten, how well does the art go with the art, Rachel? Perfect. Wow. There are so many, and when we get to the best best songs on the album, outside of you know him asking people to specifically write songs for this album, most of the songs, you could not find a more perfect song for that scene. Okay. I think you just like guys in really good shapes with Hawaiian shirts and gun holsters on. Opened. Hawaiian shirts. Oh, thousand percent. That was a good yeah. look. I would have done it if I could. Yeah. I'm giving it. <laughs> I've been 
waffling with this because there's part of me that wants to give it more like a five and part that's like an eight because as much as like rewatching it i just don't think the songs hit as well like i said i think what Mm -hmm. he was trying to do is there Mm -hmm. i need to think of this not as a 2023 movie but a 1996 movie and when i do right yeah that's when you get angel and garbage and and uh, the cardigans so yeah i'll give it an eight Mm. what's better the soundtrack or the movie I'm going to say the soundtrack. Actually, I'm saying this. Fuck, man. (laughs) This is a hard one because there's holes in both. There's the cardigans on the soundtrack and there's some bad acting in the movie. And so this one's kind of a hard one to say one is so much better than the other. I'm going soundtrack for one specific reason that I will say towards the end of this. Okay, that's fair. What about you? I'm going to say I can't decide. It's Sophie's choice. Movie it is. (laughs) (laughs) Discard a song, add a song. Here we go. Now we're talking. I would take away exit music for a film. I think it's a weird pick for the credits for Radiohead. And I think that that song has been in other forms of art where it's used perfectly. Do you watch Black Mirror, Rachel? Yes. I love Black Mirror. Do you remember? Isn't there a new season coming out? I don't know. I have a hard time with it because it's so... If I watch that show, it fucks me up. Yeah. There are some episodes. The very first one I saw was the... The Prime Minister. Prime Minister? The, well, that's the, the isn't that the first one? Yeah. Yeah, me too. That is the darkest Not, one there fucking is. No, it ain't. Which one do you think is darker? The darkest one is the one where the kid gets on his laptop and they're oh. like, hey, you have to go do these things. And you're kind of rooting for him. And then in the end, a thousand percent. you find out what he's doing and soundtrack yeah. for a movie starts playing by Radiohead and it is Ooh. fucked up. Good job, Radiohead, disturbing sons of bitches. I would have added more. I just said more bombastic. I wanted more of a Moulin Rouge feel. Like like I said, that I was really iffy about this movie until the Mercutio thing and the party started. And he's doing the whole, like they have the whole huge thing behind him and he's singing the song. Mm -hmm. I loved that. I wanted a little more of that. So Um, I I think that's good. But I think that that's the limit of cheesiness you can get to. Because I feel like when I think Moulin Rouge, I think bad covers done in a, like a satrical way sort of covers as opposed to re- a respectful I'm gonna do this as close to the music I want them to like me in the end um and I think Wait, if did you, you made not it like Moulin Rouge no I like Moulin Rouge no I think you that the vibe the is different I said the it's, covers it are is. cheesy no you're you're right maybe it's because he was you know with having the the other radio heads show pl- song play the first time you see Romeo they're really trying to establish this, you know, he is the melancholy teenager. Rosalind right. is, doesn't want to have anything to do with him. And he, mm-hmm. which that again, I don't think in this movie, they conveyed that well enough. I don't think they conveyed the whole, this is a lovesick boy who is crushed by this girl that cares about, he cares about nothing else. And then yeah. he sees this other girl and there's such a fascinating take in the actual play about how mm-hmm. a, how fickle love is and B how stupid kids are. Trevor had not studied this, but I had to pause it and be like, okay, so here's what's going on. (laughs) But if you knew it, then it was fine. But if you don't, then it's not good. Yeah. But that actually leads into the next one for me. Oh. Best song with scene was the beach scene. Oh, the Radiohead. Yeah. Talk show host on the beach. Sad writing Leo sitting on the stage. I felt that with... So the film was shot mostly in Mexico City, which is why you have this... There's this thing that is well-known-ish that when you shoot something in Mexico City or in Mexico, a 
destitute looking town that you put like a sepia tone yeah, on the film and yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. of translates the vibe and having everything that's going on on the beach that it's just kind of dirty and seedy but and he's a, still a little go- bit he's just, fake looking yeah 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 that song went really well with that scene with the vibe of of how he was feeling it was nice and calm well i'm okay with that and anytime you want to say nice things about radiohead i'm going to listen but this is another question that that just reminded me of what do you think was the reasoning behind because i get was the director just expecting us to hear verona and just in our head be okay with venice beach basically yeah because that was weird to me i was like why does he say verona and all of a sudden we're it is clearly a venice beach vibe and that's why i had to look up to where it was shot because i was like that's not venice beach but i know that that's what they're shooting verona mine is the i like the introduction of the montagues and the capulets i like the Mm, that was my second the you get that real heavy bass in their 5.0 or whatever they're driving and they're singing along their immature little shit so that song once a thief narcissus that wasn't on the oh yeah no it wasn't the boys thing yeah yeah but i thought that song was great the here to sell cds award uh rachel Uh, every artist on this album (laughs) you have garbage you have everclear you have radiohead like when was garbage used on this movie okay so trevor caught it i didn't and I don't remember I what he said. It was it was something really really quick, and it was like the intro music that uh yeah, and that was it. Yes, I'm going with number one crush. Yeah, because they put. I think they had like six seconds of it. Mm-hmm. You don't even hear Manson sing. I don't think. And you know, this was '96. Garbage was fucking huge. Right. Like, didn't their second album just released or something like that? Or this was on it, wasn't it? Yes. Released as a B-side to their debut single, Vow. And it's on the 20th. Okay, so it was never actually, it wasn't on their first or their second album. Mm -hmm. It was, okay, so I win because this was clearly made to sell CDs. That's fair. Okay, you win. You do. I am a fan of this band because of this soundtrack. Rachel? (sighs) You guys do this thing where you act like I haven't sent you these questions weeks ago. No, I know. Here's the (laughs) thing. I feel like... All of the bands that really do it for me on this soundtrack are bands that I already loved. So it's not like this soundtrack made me fall in love with anyone in particular. Same here. The only thing that I said was this was the perfect, perfect timing for for me, for Local God by Everclear to be on this. Yeah. I was in the height of my Everclear phase and mm-hmm. this song just made me it it's probably a large reason why I think this is was obsessed with this soundtrack. Yeah. Time of your life award, Rachel, what's the worst song on the album? Uh Yes. I wrote Love Fool, comma, why is it here? Question mark. I wonder if we're <laughs> gonna get hate for this. Maybe. There's gotta be it was popular. There's gotta be be people out there that love it. Yeah. Like the review said, it was so overplayed. The three best songs on the album. For me, I've got... My two and three are interchangeable. My number three is whatever. I had a dream by the Butthole Surfers. Mm. I love the Butthole Surfers. This song is very Butthole Surfers. Good job, Romeo and Juliet, (laughs) for getting it in there. It's just a fun band name to say. Number two is Young Hearts Run Free. Okay. I... It's a cool song. It's kind of out of left field and they use it perfectly. Yeah, they do. And number one, no big shocker, I don't think if you've been listening, Local God by Everclear. It's probably mm-hmm. top three favorite Everclear songs of all time. And this is the only place that you're going to find it. So 
I'm really surprised by that because once again, this was a song that was written for this film. And so I feel like it does have a little bit of a cheesy aspect to it. I loved all that first, you know, Santa Monica, one of my favorite songs of all time. You make me feel like a whore. They were very emo uh, (laughs) in the best way possible. They also were just a good fit for the aesthetic of this movie because they're very California Beach Five. Uh, Rachel, what are your three? I picked four. Number four, everybody's free. To because feel good. my four through two are songs that I felt fit the scene and fit the film perfectly. Three would be Young Hearts Run Run Free. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. We've talked about that. It's just yeah, perfect it's for that scene. Perfect for what they're trying to convey. Kissing You, number oh, two. so close. That was a good guess. Number one, even though it was used for six seconds, is number one crush. Because it just really? is my favorite. I fucking love garbage. I just... Okay. They got such a good variety of 90s bands on this they did. album. Rate the soundtrack out of a 10. I give it a 7. I think there are great songs. I think there are songs that fit, songs that don't. But there are also some real clunkers on this. And uh, maybe some that haven't aged completely well. But Rachel, lover of the soundtrack, what did you rate it? Ooh, like a 9.5. I fucking love this. Wow. It's so close to being perfect for me is it yeah and angel I, by gavin friday i say it in the application to the film okay fine i think as a pair they go so great together romeo plus juliet never was there a tale of such woe as rachel and dl talking about this soundtrack <clears throat> we're gonna take a break we'll be right back are back to talk about our second soundtrack and how could i not bring to the table 1994's the crow so much in this movie so much around the soundtrack released in may 1994 budget was 23 mil which is a little higher than i thought it was budget is 23 million box office 94 million another great return on investment as i think everybody in the world at one point owned this on vhs oh i'm sure probably dvd yes this movie had one of the biggest cult followings of any movies particularly in young gentlemen such as myself brandon lee we all know What happened with Brandon Lee? Amazing in this movie. Of course, he gets shot and killed during production, which does a lot to lift this movie to even more legendary status. Mm -hmm. I'm curious because I have heard you make mention a couple times over the last year or so that you liked the soundtrack. Yeah. Which surprised me because it's doesn't seem like a young Rachel style, but you were listening to this around that time, apparently. I was. Yeah, no. Uh, I don't know what it was about this soundtrack. I think it was hype is the wrong word, maybe, but all of the hype around the film in general got me curious. And so I listened to the soundtrack because of that. I don't know that I had actually seen the movie. And if I had, I don't know that I had seen it in its entirety. This came out in 94, right? Mm-hmm. We, so I was about 11. 
this was a really violent film. Yeah. And it was it was very violent to adult Rachel watch rewatching this film. Like it made I, me uncomfortable. Oh, there are parts where it's worse. Openings, not opening scenes, but you know the the crime mm-hmm. scene stuff that was happening. I don't remember that. And so, no, I don't think I'd watched it at all. Let's go with that. I don't think I had watched it. Yeah, my mom brought it home for me one night and I was like, ah, this looks stupid. And I, like you said, I must have been 11 or 12 or whatever and I watched it and it was the greatest thing I'd ever seen in my life. I couldn't I couldn't believe it. Been a big fan ever since. You it's live insane. with a male around that same age. Uh, does mm-hmm. he also love this movie or did love this movie? He, did, he does love this movie and he did love this yeah. movie. Um, and I think Vincent did as well. So The Crow comes out in 94, gains huge, huge, uh, you know, it's the cult following. It's everybody that sees yeah. it says you have to see it. It's the it's the Matrix effect. And it just becomes sure. massive for so long. Am I to understand that the first time you watched this was this week? I think so. Yeah, it was a little harder. So when you go back, this was 29 years ago when this film came out, the opening scene being Detroit on fire mm-hmm. and the very bad special effects. It was hard for me not to judge it with 2023 eyes. And that was so fucking violent. I it really. Is. I did take pause a little bit and was like, fuck, I gave her a viciously violent movie to watch. Yeah. So that, I did. I did think about that once or twice. So this was based off of a graphic novel by James O'Carr right? Mm -hmm. His fiance had passed away. Suddenly he wrote this as like part of his grieving process. So he takes it to the first people and they're like, okay, this is a great idea. Yeah, let's turn this into a film. I see it as a musical with Michael Jackson. And he's like, "Mm," left swipe. And so he takes it to a second set of people and they're like, yeah, okay, we'll make this. And so the film gets made and then Brandon Lee gets shot and killed three days before he's done filming. And right before he's supposed to get married. And so it's like history repeating himself. So James had said in an interview, I wish I'd never written it because I feel like it's just history repeating itself. Oh, wow. I found that in studying after I'd watched the film. I feel like if I had known that before I watched the film, I would have been even more sad. Well, that sucks. I mean, it would have sucked sucked. no matter what. But yes, that, that blows. I think it was a little bit of unfortunate serendipity of him of Brandon being killed on set I think a lot of people were a little morbidly curious to watch the film Uh, uh, see not that I don't think that the music drove it because it absolutely did well and it's not fair for me to speak from a personal level because I personally didn't I don't think I knew that till like a year or so after I liked the movie that he had passed away Brandon Lee had died I mean, I was, I was a little kid. Let's get into the soundtrack. So yeah. this was another one, kind of like you talked about with the last one that was uh, heavily curated before. Mm-hmm. The director, the composers, they had a very specific vision for the styles of music that they wanted in this. Right. Um, they wanted new age. They wanted industrial. They wanted mm-hmm. heavy. They wanted dark. That is what they got. The lineup, you all know, it's fucking absurd. It's, it's amazing. absurd. Mm-hmm. Were you already a Reg Against the Machine fan in the mid 90s at that point probably not probably not yet i'm not sure i was either Hmm. i think it's funny that machines of loving grace when they first read this script Mm -hmm. they thought it sounded like a hokey martial arts movie yeah they didn't want to do it Hmm. that's funny which a fuck you and b (laughs) well why would you not want your music to be in a cheesy martial arts movie that'd be fantastic Mm, 
maybe that wasn't their vibe. But to be fair, like that's kind of what Brandon Lee had done up to that point. Also, uh, another little did you know, Stone Temple Pilots was originally going to do a different song for this. But then when Brandon Lee died, they're like, fuck. Yeah. This song is all about death and and murder and we can't do that. Right. So instead we get Big Empty. Right. Which plays while the henchmen are in their firebird driving around. Mm -hmm. Something else that I didn't realize until going back this week. So much of the soundtrack is used as what the people are listening to. I really had to, again, watching it with Trevor, had to be like, where the fuck was that song? And he's like, oh, it was driving around. It was for like four seconds. And so a lot of it was score that really set the mood for the film and very little of it was soundtrack that set the mood for the film. I agree. I think there are very few songs that when you look at the name of it, Mm -hmm. you think, oh, fuck, that was at this point in the movie. But those scenes, those songs, they're so well done. Mm -hmm. Gross fun fact, Top Dollar, the crime boss, what was her name? Her name was Micah in the, she's uh, Ba Lin, is that her name? Ling? Oh, his sister. It's his lover slash half sister. Oh, yeah. I missed that entirely. And then I found it while studying and I was like, ugh. Yeah. Pretty pretty gross, gross, huh? I don't like that. Yeah. Michael Wincott is so good. All of the bad guys are so fucking good. I feel like this movie very much dances the line of when you find out that it was a graphic novel, you're you're like, oh, yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. It gives you kind of Sin City vibes. I think when it comes from a graphic novel or a comic, especially like the first iteration from that can be pretty fucking cheesy because we're so far at this point from Batman the comic that like if we looked at, you know, if we look at Adam West, it's super, super cheesy. Whereas to now Batman is a completely completely different story because it's evolved let's go on let's go on to talk a bit more about the soundtrack and i want to go on to the awards and categories because i think that we're going to spend a lot of time here david crosby bad reviews uh i really only found one good one one star 2022 not what i wanted it wasn't what i wanted did he order the wrong thing is that what he's getting at maybe he was trying to get the second i guess so That's such a bad reason to give a one-star review because you ordered the wrong fucking thing. What was the Taylor Swift one? 1989. It didn't even sound like the film, right? Oh, no, I don't remember that. How do you remember that? Because it was my first time. That's what she said. The DMX (laughs) Award. I just think this is the perfect time, perfect era, perfect soundtrack. I mean, it's boring, but to me, it's very true. What about you? Copy paste. Exactly the same thing and same thing. With Romeo and Juliet, just the time period, this soundtrack hit so hard. A it really did. Great mix of very popular bands at the time. Overrated, underrated, properly rated. This soundtrack was massive. I think it's still mat. Like yeah. I said, I still see pictures of it all the time on Instagram and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that this is, I mean, like we just said, when you are the picture perfect era spoiling soundtrack, yeah. you're never going to go away. And these aren't, we're not talking about bands like Garbage and Everclear that do fade with time. We're talking about the fucking Cure and Nine Mm -hmm. Inch Nails and these musical life-altering beings. This peaked at the top of the Billboard Top 200. This sold uh, 3.8 million copies in the US. So this has to be one of the top-selling soundtrack albums of all time. Appreciated then, appreciated now. Uh, Influences and influencees. What do you got? This is a really... I just said the 90s. Yeah, that's uh, that's a really hard one because it's it's 
having soundtracks and having such a, a mix of characters on the soundtrack, it's just... There were multiple soundtracks at this time that were doing this hardcore industrial mixed with heavy metal right you've got you had like the crow and you had the mortal Kombat soundtrack and you oh, had yeah. there were there were a bunch mm-hmm. of soundtracks like that that were kind of like half metal half post-punk right dark all of that early 90s stuff mm-hmm. scale of one to ten how well does the art go with the art rachel we're gonna cover this in a second i'm gonna oh. say really really well, there is one song that I have wild issue Ooh. with that stuck out like a sore thumb to me. I think it's a nine. Yeah, it's pretty damn close. I as well think that there are a couple that it, it, it just didn't age well for a couple songs. Mm. And I will get into that more later as well. Rachel, what's better, the soundtrack or the movie? I think I feel very much like you did about Romeo and Juliet. I yeah. love this movie so much. I rewatched it. Yes, it is a little more 90s than I remember. Mm-hmm. I still love it. But... I worship the soundtrack, right. so it's kind of an impossible question for me. I think I'm I'm pretty close. I I'm leaning more towards soundtrack, and similarly Nothing. to Romeo and Juliet, I feel like I can see the flaws in both and places mm. where I would improve a little bit in both. But probably leaning towards the music maybe a little bit more, just because I think it was a little bit much violent wise for my taste for the film. Yeah. Discard a song, add a song. What you got, Rachel? I took out Time Baby. That one. Did not make sense to me. Okay. So I All right. took that out. What are you adding in its place? Can I, do I have to add something? Well, not if you didn't think about it. It's not that <laughs> sure I didn't think don't. about it. I thought it was an option to do one or the other. <laughs> no, it's never an option. Nothing is ever an option for me. That's fair. I'm not so so on Henry Rollins' version of the, the suicide Ooh. song, the okay. Ghost Rider. I love Henry Rollins. I love suicide. There's something about its usage here. Mm-hmm. I, I question when it's used in the movie, Top Dollar is listening to it. And I don't see Top Dollar listening to something like this. I know that's okay. the, like the nerdiest answer I can probably No, have. I think that's a really good point. Yeah, I think he'd be like listening to Like if it's not like fitting the character, not fitting the scene. Baroque music or some weird fucking shit like that, you know, or super weird okay. industrial stuff. But not... Not, like it was too not old school punk trying to be on the nose. It's old school punk. He wouldn't listen to that. He's in a fucking okay. suit with the combed out long hair and uh, yeah. and add. I could see Hole being on this soundtrack. Oh I, well, they were on the second soundtrack with Goldust Woman. Oh Crow Two. Oh, they put Goldust yeah. Woman on the Crow Two. Yeah, well, I, yeah. So I I went on strike after this movie. I can't I'm I can't believe they even came out with more Crow movies. Oh, for sure. Fuck them. The second soundtrack was very good as well. Meh. That's how I I don't know that I watched the second film either. But meh. Um, meh. What's the best song to go with a scene? Burn. It has to be right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Cure. Perfect. I love the Machines of Loving Grace during the Fun Boy scene mm-hmm. where he's he's putting his hand on the gun and all that shit, but. It's it's got to be burn. Yeah, that's that's the right answer. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> um, the I'm here to sell CDs award. <sighs> it pains me to do so because I love them so much. Do we have the same answer? I don't think that the Stone Temple Pilots <gasps> song works on this. Oh, we don't have the same answer. What is, what is your answer? It's rage. <laughs> rage. And maybe it should have been on the Discarda song. I feel like that song. It did not belong on go this. out with the movie at all. You're absolutely right. I I don't know why I missed that, but you are totally right. That song does not go with the movie at all. They put them on, I think, to make money. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. 
That song was about... That was one of Zach De La Roca's like first... He wrote that before they came out with Rage in 92. Like he, Yeah. That was one of his first songs he ever wrote. So that song and was I about they just, genocide. It didn't make sense. What the fuck is genocide? Genocide? How many genes are you murdering? Oh, genocide. Go fuck yourself. That's a good I'm call. I'm trying to look at their it, albums to see where what? they were at when that got released. Well, 92 was Rage. 92 was Rage. So Evil Empire You don't think that was, was big enough at the time? No, 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 no. I was wrong. That, they were ma- they were massive at this point. They were massive. Like 90, that Rage album put them way, way the fuck yeah. in everybody's ears. Okay. I am a fan of this band because of this soundtrack award, Rachel. I think it's the same. Yeah, it's the same. There's there's not a band on here that I didn't like before. Already know. Yeah. Okay. So I'm a fan of this band because of the soundtrack. I have a lot to say on this. Okay. This was a massive influence on me mm-hmm. i had never heard helmet before this soundtrack okay milk toast is that is such a good introduction to a band song i've loved helmet ever since mm-hmm. i'd never heard medicine before i've loved medicine ever since sure when i listened to dead souls and of course i had always loved nine inch nails and i brought it to my uncle and he was like you know who wrote that right joy division who the fuck is joy division uh, i know of joy division because of this soundtrack right this is the one that might get me in trouble. I had heard of them, but was never into them. I thought they were cheesy, poppy, Friday I'm in love style stuff. And then I heard Burn by The Cure. And I was like, holy oh. fuck, this song f- is fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. And I have loved The Cure ever since because that made me get into The Cure and realize, no, they aren't this Friday I'm in love band. They are mm-hmm. passion post-punk, whatever you want to, whatever the cure is. Yeah. So this soundtrack is a massive influence on the music that I listen to and a lot of the bands that I love. Good job, soundtrack. <clears throat> Rachel, what is the worst song on this soundtrack? I want to say Time Baby again. I want to get rid of it. Okay. She wants to get rid of medicine. But part of me wants to get rid of Rage as well. So uh, I thought about that. I still like the song. Oh, I love so the song. To the, so listening to the soundtrack, I'm cool with it. Because this isn't, should you take it out of the movie? This is worst song on the album. There are, a f- this is hard for me to, oh, the Jesus and Mary Chain. I found the Jesus and Mary Chain because of the soundtrack too. I found I found so many bands because of this. Uh, I'm going to lose people for this answer too, but I am not a huge fan of Pantera's version of the badge on this. Hmm. Okay. I like the original version way more. I love that Pantera is on this. Yeah. I don't think it was the right choice. Uh, I just think there was so much other stuff going on at this time, like the whole and all these industrial, these gravity Mm. kills and fear factory type bands that would have been amazing on here. But now the fun part. What are your three favorite songs on this? I'm just looking at Hole real fast. Why are you looking at Hole? What do you want? I don't know that that would have been a good choice. I don't think they were popular enough to have... But maybe they didn't need to be popular enough. 94 was when Live Through This came out. Like when did Live Through This come out? It came out in April. This came out in May. This came out. I think you're forgetting that Courtney Love was married to Kurt Cobain at this time. Hole was going to be massive no matter what. So I think that this was the perfect time to put them on this. Maybe. Don't maybe me. Live Through This came out. One month before this movie was released. In that way, yeah. Okay, maybe. Okay, never mind. So. What do you mean in that way? It would have helped boost them a little bit even. They could have put doll parts on there or something like that. And they both would have flourished. Stop trying to prove me wrong. What are the three best songs on the album? Color Me Once. I picked for number three. Mm, 
Violent Femmes, baby. We haven't even and- talked about them. Fantastic <laughs> Violent Femmes songs. So mm-hmm. good. And then I think you're going to be really disappointed. Yep. Uh, Big Empty. I mean, Big Empty is an amazing song. It's it is. amazing. And in listening to the other song, it was called Dying, that they had yep. were going to put on there. That probably would have been a better choice, but I can understand that. It would have been better for their the apprehension. That, uh, yes, yeah. me too. And then number one, I just burn. I just feel like that is what I think of when I think of the soundtrack. Understood. I have four. That's I did fine. what you did. My honorable mention is Big Empty because I think it is an unbelievable song. I don't think it fits on the soundtrack very well. That's fair. My number three is Violent Femmes, Color Me Once. That sounds <gasps> brilliant. We have so much in common. Fantastic. No, we don't. Because my number two <laughs> is Time Baby 3 by Medicine. Oh, shit. I love the scene where they're playing in the hall. I love that song. I've loved most of what Medicine has come out with since. Brilliant song. Okay. They don't have to take you away. And my number one, which I think is just the right answer, is Burn. It's yeah. Burn. Burn is such an incredible song. So it wasn't even the whole so band. Like, it, it wasn't it just him and the drummer? That's a great question. I think so. I think it was just uh, Rob Smith and Boris. They just like, fuck it. Let's go in and record this real quick. I got an idea for a great song for this. And it ended up being the best song ever. Rachel, rate this album, please. I would give it an eight. I'm okay. taking away some points because of the good bands, inappropriate songs. I am giving it a nine out of ten. I, I do think that... It's not even because of the Pantera cover. You know what's weird to me is the Can't Rain All the Time ending with, by Jane Cybery. I completely forgot about that song. <laughs> exactly. I would like to change. Because it doesn't belong anywhere near this. My worst song. That whole, okay, so rewind to the film. You know what that song belongs on? It belongs on the Romeo and Juliet soundtrack. The reason it's on there is because his like whole... I can't rain all the time, you know? And that's yeah. how Sarah recognizes who he is. I would correlate it to Everclear, but in a much more cheesy way of uh, this song. If you hear it by itself, you're like, oh, was this made for this film? It's very obvious. Yeah. When Sarah goes home and puts on the vinyl of Doesn't Rain All the Time. Right. And it starts playing. That song slaps. For the mm-hmm. seven seconds you hear it. I could not find anywhere online who actually did that song. Oh. Why didn't they make that, the la- whoever played that seven seconds right. or whatever, make that the last song on the soundtrack? Yeah. Hangman's Jury or Hangman's Trial or whatever it is, something like that. Uh, yeah, nine out of 10, eight out of 10. Okay. Look, it's The Crow, right? It's, good. it's The Crow. We're okay. Uh, Rachel, which movie do you like more? Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> No, well, wrong answer. Which soundtrack do you like more? Romeo and Juliet. And I say that oh my God. because there is there are less songs that I want to take off of that than I want to take off of The Crow to make it make more You're sense. Wrong. What is the best song that came out of all of this total? Ooh. Best song out of both soundtracks. That's a great question. I know. It's definitely Burn for The Crow. No, and no, it's no, no, no. Definitely it's number combined. one crush for you have to pick one of them. Number those. one crush. Which one's better? Number one crush. Burn? I agree. <laughs> Burn by the Cure wins. Rachel, that is it. Those are our two soundtracks. Thank you for reminding me of my childhood. Yeah. And thank Ditto. myself for reminding me of my childhood as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I dug that. Firstcourseverse.com at pod. Check out our YouTubes. Check out our other things. They're great. People love it when we react to things and they leave all the nice comments. I'm sure we missed a lot of stuff, particularly on the Crow soundtrack. Write us. Let us know. We'll we'll talk about this again. We'll do a revisit. Rachel, hey, thank you. Thank you. Good night and good luck.